The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. everybody it's another edition of rediscovering the indies an independent wrestling history podcast and i'm one of your hosts chris gillow joined alongside jonathan ash hello and we are uh, a little bit late on this one we apologize about that uh both our schedules are very crazy and hectic but we still wanted to bring this to you it's late but it's here and this is the final part of the burt prentice deep dive we have hit part five this will be the final part and then we will move on to our next uh topic which will be released in another couple weeks just because yeah you know we want to try to get we were late for this being in july now so we want to get out another one in july so what is going to come your way at the end of the month is dragon gate usa an interesting uh, subject, and there will be a lot of Evolve stuff in there, too. We'll probably, we won't fully do Evolve on that episode, but I'm sure there will be a lot of tie-ins. And uh, we'll kind of talk about that as, like, Dragon Gate, the actual promotion in Japan, is kind of on a surge a little bit again, and uh, kind of talk about its history here in the United States with Dragon Gate USA. But uh, we are going to get right into it. But before we do, of course, we want to thank the BICBP Radio Network and the podcast pre-seat. Matt Johnson over there always doing a great job uh, here. So, yeah. So where we left off is we are right about the genesis of TNA here. And and Bert is involved with that. Um, I think we kind of figured out he's pretty he might be the promoter on record. I think if 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 we remember that correctly. Not that there really isn't a commission in Tennessee, but it seems like he was the promoter on record. Yeah, he was the local promoter in the aspect of handling uh, handling the building, handling local tickets, handling advertising, what a traditional local promoter would do in wrestling. Yep, so T- TNA is now in full swing here, and we're going to start with uh, December 2nd, 2002. This is from the November 20th NWA TNA show, and this is in The Observer. They had a good crowd at the show, probably about 1,000. Mortimer Plumtree has taken over Burt Prentice in handling the papering of the houses, and he's been far more effective at it. Apparently, they actually hand out tickets to people as opposed to leaving stacks at stores. So this was the... This was the infamous story of they would give all these tickets for free for TNA and then it killed the national independent scene <laughs> because yeah. no, no one wants to pay for a show. If they can watch a show with a bunch of former WCW and ECW guys for free. I don't, I mean, that's, I don't want that's what basically killed Orlando. Yep. E- even to this day, like you can't have high quality wrestling for free. And expect to run in the same city with something that might be less quality. Uh, January 27, 2003, uh, from the NWTNA January 15th show. Conan debuted after David Young versus Jason Cross laid out both guys with the kendo stick shots before Burt Prentice made the save. So Burt, I believe this was probably his on-camera debut for TNA. It might have been the only time he was on camera. Yeah, I just wanted to put that in there just because I think it's quite interesting that you know, Prentice does the run in to make the save. Well, he's heavily involved on all his own television. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in Music City and 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 to be worldwide and uh, 
and all the other feds that he was. But yeah, so far TNA, it's not his company. He's just a part of the office. But of course, you know, he's he's still getting on television there. Uh, March seventeenth, two thousand three. Uh, after the fifth straight full house on March 5th, the decision has been made to slow down and giving away tickets for in a few more weeks. The plan is at this point to not let anyone with free tickets into the building until 6 p.m. So those who pay at least will have an advantage in getting better seats. They're going to cut back in the number of free tickets issued and hope that people who got in free regularly will start becoming paying customers. But they recognize it's more important to have a full house for television and figure it will take papering to have that. At the ticket line on March 5th, Burt Prentice, a local promoter, was telling the crowd in line, most of which had free tickets, that in two weeks that there would be no more free tickets. So, a lot here. First off... Bert's they're making Bert to deliver a bad news. Um, he's he- yeah, he's heavily involved. It it sounds like TNA it just basically left it on him. Be like, get us a house every week, like bring Bert, in the fans any way you can. Bert had to know that this was going to kill his town. Granted, he's not really running at this point um, because he's so heavily involved in TNA. I mean, he is still running. Like it looks like USA Championship Wrestling starts right around this time. So I mean he's he's running, but you know, he's gotta know that this is this is gonna kill. Yeah, but I think it I think uh I think he was probably the same mindset that a lot of guys were in the early two thousands with TNA where they felt like this is gonna be the next WCW and thinking that it was gonna take off. So a lot of people just put their eggs all into the TNA basket. Yeah, the, so for him, it probably was like, yeah, I, it's killing my local territory, but like I'm working for an international company. I'm working for the number two promotion in the country. It's interesting, though, if I just look a little bit of his USA Championship Wrestling results here uh, from 2003 around this time period. He's he's kind of using those TNA connections. His main event was James Storm and Jerry Lynn going to a no contest. Uh, but you got April Pennington uh, defeating Lollipop, who were both members of TNA. Chris Vaughn with Rick Santel, who was also in TNA, defeating Mitch Ryder of Chikara fame, actually. Um, and there's some other people on that, too. Bart Sawyer is still kicking around here in 2003 as well. Uh, well, you get, you get you can get cheap talent because most of them already live down there or live within the area. And they're already working TNA, so he could d- definitely use that to his advantage to try to get them to try to get an in on with talent and get to get a discount. Now, so from uh, March 17, 2003, um, I'm sorry, March 24th, 2003 here. Uh, actually, no, I want to go back to the free ticket thing. Sorry about that. So we talked about this in the John Collins episode. You can't do that. That never works. Hey, we'll give you free tickets this week. Pay next week. That has never worked. Like, there's samples work, right? Like, you go to a, a grocery store and someone goes, you try a little bit of this chicken. And you're only getting a tiny bit of the chicken. You don't get the full thing. I don't know why I'm using chicken as an analogy. I don't even eat meat. <laughs> but, like, you, 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 get, you get a tiny bit of, of the sample and that makes you want more because you only got a tiny bit. You didn't even get a full serving. You're going to a wrestling show for free, seeing every single match. It's not like you're going there like, hey, 
guess what? You get to see the first match for free, and then you got to leave. I, I, the, the chicken analogy is better than the drug dealer analogy, so I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's like you. There, there is, there can be success with that about giving out comps, obviously, like to radio stations for promotional usage, but just handing out stacks and stacks of them. And but you that's only for want free to do that. advertising. That's yeah. not for. But you only want to do that once, though. You're never going to convert. I mean, of course, I'm sure there is instances, but on average, you're never going to convert somebody that has never gone to your wrestling show before, give them free tickets, and then they stay. Now, the, I have, on a local level, I have sold tickets to friends who have never seen a wrestling show before, and then they end up buying front row tickets or second row tickets because they really liked it. Because they've already kind of made a financial investment, and they go, oh, it's only five more bucks to buy a front row ticket. But, for example, someone pays zero, and it's like, ah, i got to pay 20 bucks to see this again. That's a huge difference. Yeah, I I still think, like, it can work if it's a one-time thing. Again, with the promotional thing. But if you're giving out we're, – we're in March 2003. TNA's been running for nearly a year at this point. And people are accustomed to getting free tickets. If you're getting free tickets week after week, you're not paying. That's the thing. Like once you get accustomed to getting free tickets, you're not. It, that's not changing. You're not going to be able to change those fans' attitudes and force them to pay. And 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 this is and this plague this problem plagued TNA for years, as you said. It plagued in the Impact Zone too. It's really hard. Like I I get what you're saying. Maybe it went off. Yeah, but. It's really hard to turn somebody into a full-time paying customer if they get a full f- show for free. It's just why, oh, yeah, would and they do, why would they do that? Especially yeah. here, they know you've been on free tickets for nine months, like you said, and all they'll probably none of because these people aren't stupid. If we all go, all right, well, we can get a free tickets, we can go. What's going to happen when they have no crowds? Let's give out free tickets again. Yeah, and but and that's the thing if you. Like, there would be still papers, crowds every once in a while. Like, it's more important for TV because that's where your money is. You don't make money off the gate for the most part. Um, I should know this, but I don't. Like, does does Impacts still charge for tickets or can I get into, like, an Impact tape for free? I th- think they charge for tickets. Uh, a friend of the show, Lavi Margolin, uh, his – he gets – ticket numbers and everything for those like when they do like the derby city tapings in louisville and all that. i i mean there's probably some comps i don't know maybe i'm wrong but when for the sky studios tapings and for that i mean those are they do sell tickets for those okay yeah i just went to the website yeah the derby city rumble is actually this weekend 15th to 16th in louisville there are there's the ticket link for Ticketmaster, cicero stadium august 12th for an impact plus taping uh Here's another an impact taping. Yeah, so they're they're selling tickets. Yeah, so, so at they, least they're they've they've learned. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. but here they are a company with a lot of huge names and a television deal, and those crowds are small. Um, but at the same time, like that but all the, stems to what of years of this practice. But yeah, but at the same time, like as we're doing this at NXT's on TV right now, like I. I assume NXT is still free tickets. Yeah, but but yes, NXT is. I guess they are touring now. 
But I mean, I mean the NXT the TV show, not touring. Yes, but I mean no. in, in Atlanta. Now, granted, like the Performance Center, the whatever the name is, the, the building, um, like it's not big enough. It's it's small enough that they have a dedicated fan base that it's going to be packed every every week. But that's similar, and that's also hurting the the Orlando scene when you you're doing that. Yeah, because it's so hard to get people to buy, pay for tickets. Because people going to that are the diehards, and those are the diehards that are going to buy the front row seats at an indie show, and you know buy t shirts and buy all that. Well, when they're getting a a televised product for free, then they go, ah, maybe I shouldn't spend a hundred, two hundred dollars my paycheck at the local indie wrestling company. Yeah. Oh, AEW too for their dark tapings in Orlando. And I think Impact still comes there once in a while. And I'm pretty sure the NWA did something. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> I mean it's a it not saying it's like it's a huge mistake because obviously like there's still promotions that will do it, will do the free tapings and give out tickets every once in a while. But like that's what like sometimes if that fits your business model for that particular event. Like that's just like if that fits your business model, then you know have at it. But don't do that. Start losing money and then then assume like you're just gonna convert those fans to to paying customers after several shows or several months. Yeah, I like I said. I mean, I'm I'm sure you know an event, and I think they eventually charge for all tickets in Nashville. I don't know, and we'll probably find out in this. But like, it's I just you can't you can't do that. You you know you want to maybe give people a taste. Like for example, like hey, we're gonna do a, a live exhibition. Maybe put two free matches on the night before or something somewhere. You know, it's like at heart at a casino and be like, hey, you want more? We'll be here tomorrow, but you can't give somebody a full show and then, but oh, by the way, next show you have to pay 20 bucks or more. So, but we will, uh, we'll move on to the notes here. Uh, so, so this is, uh, for the March 24th here. There are definite signs of a real as opposed to imagine business pickup on the March 12th show. The 700 paid were more than a du- double the 350 they've been getting. And the March 19th advance was ahead of the pace of March 12th. This was the largest paid attendance since the early weeks. It was a six-day full house in the building, but they are still heavily papering things. This was the first week that they differentiated between paying customers and freebies. At 5.30 before the show, Burt Prentice told the people in line that they were waiting to get in, that they were doing separate lines for those who paid tickets and freebies. When they separated, there were approximately five times as many people in the freebie line, said to be about 50 paid out of the 300 in time in line at the time so you can use that to estimate and the people with tickets were let in first so they were able to get the best general admission seats they didn't let the freebies uh in until about 6 30 p.m a lot of the people in the freebie line were mad because they missed the first dark match others in the freebie line actually left the line and purchased tickets so they can get in so maybe that's a strategy yeah i mean that's i think that's pretty smart um Give them exclusive matches if you're going to pay for them. Yeah. Uh, March 19, 2003, Burr Prentice runs shows every Saturday night at the same fairgrounds that TNA runs using a lot of the same people. On March 
or on May 10th, he had Chris Harris, Larry Sabisco, Cash, Lollipop, Athena, and former TNA woman named April Pennington. And we kind of talked about that, that too. Uh, there's actually, I think I have that show here. It's kind of uh, smart because he probably just, he, he probably uses the same ring, same entrance way. He doesn't yeah. need to pay for a ring crew. Yeah, I'm looking at his notes. I mean, he's using Jamie Dundee. He's using uh, Air Paris. Uh, of course, all the names I mentioned just a little bit ago. Um, let's see here. Uh, just kinda, I'm just kind of looking in this time period here. Using Tracy Smothers, Kid Cash, Laz. Uh, we got... Yeah, and... Uh, Chase Stevens, you know, natural. So, yeah, so he's definitely uh, using a lot of TNA talent or kind of people in, in the South in that area. But it's kind of one of those, I mean, one of those things, that, you know, Bert is also probably pushed for some of these people to get TNA tr- like shots too, I imagine. Um, like, you know, any, like anybody that was kind of working in that area at the time, like the naturals, you know? Yeah. Um, June 23rd, 2003, some funny notes on a Memphis TV show that would be hilarious to, in the day. Uh, Jimmy Hart, in a promo, came out with a wanted poster for Reggie B. Fine, listed him as being charged with attempting to kill Memphis wrestling. Later, Hart came out to present announcer Burt Prentice with an XWF jacket, but it was several sizes too small. So Burt's working for Corey Macklin at this time. This I did not know. Yeah, he guess he was doing some... Uh... Memphis shots. And this was Corey Macklin's Memphis wrestling, right? I think that's what it was. Yes. One of these days we're going to do a mini episode on the Hulk Hogan Big Show match. Because <laughs> I feel like that's worth at least talking about at some point. Because um, that was that was an indie show, guys. Uh, the last event at the Mid-South Coliseum. Yeah. Hulk Hogan worked the indies, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so... We got the XWF here, which I think at this point is already dead. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it 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 was dead after the, that first series of tapings that they did. Hard and knobs, though, they try to keep it alive as much as possible. Those infomercials and all that. Um, but yeah, it, R- Reggie, be fine. Facebook friend of mine. I think he also follows me on Twitter. Uh, he's an interesting character. Uh, I actually kind of want to. I, I want to find this. <laughs> A Reggie B. Fine, Jimmy Hart uh, feud. Um, August 4th, 2003, uh, NWTNA. Uh, it appears that they're building up a security guard angle. The guys in the black shirts, mainly guys who work for apprentices shows, are the baby faces. And, while Kevin Northcutt and another big dude in the red shirts are the heels. And November 24th, 2003 here, Burr Prentice is pulled out of Northern Alabama and dropped his TV in that region after a show headlined by Jerry Lawler versus Casey James drew only 115 fans and Decatur. Uh, so Burt's Burt's got TV quite around in the South. It looks like at this point. Um, so I obviously he probably has Nashville and, and, and he at least has Alabama. We don't know any other parts. We don't know if he's in Knoxville or anything like that. Um, but, uh, 115 fans with Jerry Lawler headlining. That's probably is a little bit rough in 2003 to, still too, where, I mean, Lawler is exposed, I guess, as far as being working a lot in that area, but it's still kind of a cool novelty. Yeah. I, 
I feel like it's hit or miss with Lawler during this era because you see results later on where, like, he still can draw. But, like, and maybe it's as we've seen with Bert over previous previous episodes, like, a lot of these cities are hit or miss. Like, I, he can draw very well in a city, yeah. but then, like, it, it's like a roller coaster ride. He'll draw really well and then just overexposure or just killing the town and it just doesn't draw. Yeah, it will draw great once, and then it's like, all right, let's 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 bleed as much out of it as we possibly can. So, here's, where is Decatur, Alabama? So uh, that is uh, suburban Huntsville, sort okay. of right, right across the right across the Tennessee River, but it's only that's yeah, it's suburban Huntsville, so. Not that far from Nashville. So now, uh, January 19th, 2004, Burt Prentice's USA Wrestling starts on January 30th on a Friday night at 10 p.m. Central time slot on the CSS Network. The CSS Network. What was that? Is that original TV? Or did he have some, like, weird satellite station? That's something. Let me take a look. Comcast Charter Sports Southeast. So that's that's like the equivalent of like what was it? Prime Turner Wrestling South. had Sports Time Ohio. Okay, it it's what Turner South turned into, or is it is it still Turner South? No, but I'm saying it's it's no it's it's not Turner South. I'm saying it, it's it's something similar to Turner Turns South. Similar. Okay. Yeah. Actually, no, it sounds more like Empire Sports or like MSG Network. Yes. Or like, Probably yeah, MSG, like, said, yeah. like if you have like if you ever seen like Sports Time uh, Ohio, um, like s- something like that. Let's see here. All right, here. And then actually, you know what? I did want to circle back to this legend show because he ran something called. This is in June 2003, so we're talking about he ran something called Legends uh, Fest. Um, and we got Hot Rod Biggs in there of uh, TCW fame, a previous episode. Oh, man, I can't believe that episode was so long ago. It seems like we did it yesterday. Uh, James Storm is on this show defeating Matt Bourne. We got uh, Casey James defeating Mike Rapata. And Casey James was uh, James Curtis. Uh, in the in uh, in WWE, I think he was one, the teacher's pet. I think they were. Um, and then uh, and you get the risky business, which was Vaughn and Santel defeating the Naturals. So I'm, I saw Legends Fest and I got excited. And it doesn't seem like a typical. I don't know really where the Legends were. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I just kind of want to circle that because that looked like that would have been one of his premier. Uh, events and and there's some good nice names on there, but uh, so May 31st, 2004, Burt Prentice slipped on a wet spot on the floor, busted up his knee, and needed 14 stitches. So, yeah, that's rough. I mean, clearly, he's probably running all around TNA trying to do a bunch of stuff. Um, and this is where it gets interesting, this is where the power shift changes. July 12, 2004 from The Observer. The Carters are very strong at moving everything to Orlando. 
the look is better and it will save on travel costs and the wearing down factor and everyone having to rush from Nashville to Orlando. The downside is, is that you are asking a lot from the Orlando market to support two live shows per week. As surprising as it is almost everyone, the Nashville crowds have been hotter as of late than the Orlando crowds, but that doesn't overcome the nicer look of Orlando. There were rumors going around that July 21st would be the last show in Nashville, but when Don West, who does a radio show in Nashville, asked Jeff Jarrett, he said the story wasn't true. However, workers at the building were telling people that they were that they were told that July 21st would be the final night. Burt Prentice has also started booking the fairgrounds for shows starting on August 7th for his own promotion, even though uh, the story was out as of late of this past week. Todd Carter, Dixie Bro- Dixie's brother, and Jeff Jarrett were still debating the merits of the move, with Jarrett feeling two shows a week from Orlando could burn out. The market strongly against it. The feeling was that Carter saw the cost about... F- after five weeks and no question it's a huge savings in transportation to at least run closer together and maybe a better bet than run wednesdays well best bet is to eliminate one wednesday and run once per month and eventually they'll either figure out that out or blow nearly six figures weekly learning in the tampa st p area rather than orlando uh, orlando has the look no doubt but the last thing you need to do is run too often and kill the crowd response and they would be in orlando for another 10 years <laughs> But a couple of tidbits from this. First off, on a TNA side of things, I have never heard of Todd Carter until this moment. Same thing here. I Obviously, Bob Dixie's, and Janice, Dixie, yeah, Dixie's, Dixie's husband. Um, but I've never heard of Todd Carter until this time. Never knew he was a, he was involved in the wrestling side. Yeah, yeah, th- that was surprising. Um, Bert starting to book uh, the the fairgrounds. To be fair, though, um, I-, I I looked at the date and I'm like, oh my god, is he doing that like three weeks out from that? But it would be what? So this 21st would be the 28th. Yeah, it would. It'd still be a weekend. He'd be running. It seems like. But still, he he wasted no time when it seems like there's internal discussion on moving. Out, getting out of Nashville, but is back trying to run, trying to capitalize on it. But he's still running at the fairgrounds himself, anyways. <laughs> but I guess he's, you know, he's like, hey, I'm going to run more shows. I'm, I'm going I'm to book other promotions to do it as well. Uh, July 19, 2004, uh, there was a controversy in Nashville this week. Burt Prentice, who was going to be running shows, and he and Tony Falk, who runs every Friday night in Madison, are rivals. Funny thing is, they both work for TNA. Never knew Falk worked for TNA until... But it makes sense because he was Jeff Jarrett's first match. Uh, Prentice is involved with selling tickets, and he wouldn't let the fans who regularly attended Falk's show get the tickets they wanted in their usual section, and these are paying customers that usually sit together. It turned out to be a minor controversy, but it was believed by the end of the night that everything was worked out and wouldn't happen again. So, yeah, I, I didn't know Tony Falk was promoting. Tony Falk's still involved. You'll see him involved with NWA. Yeah. Uh, Tony Falk is still around. Um, 
July uh, 26, 2004, and a sad sign of customer relations. The ticket problem in Nashville we discussed was allowed to continue on July 14th. The funny thing is that the rival promoters in Nashville who were involved with a cat fight over 200 fans on Friday nights. Uh, Burt Prentice and Tony Falk both work for TNA. When fans who attend Falk show on July 14th went to the box office, they were told all the seats facing the camera, so their signs would be evident, would not be sold to them. Several fans who have bought tickets for nearly every show since exception have decided after this to take the freebies instead. Scott Hudson, who is friends with the fans, the heel section that were broken up, claimed he was leaving Prentice's group, where he works as a TV announcer for Folk's group, uh, as some sort of figurehead authority guy over it. Uh, although there may be more to, the, to that than that. Uh, more to it than that, sorry. Um, so you got Scott Hudson here. Heavily involved with, and he's, I think he's working TNA at this time too, but heavily involved in this, in, in, in this Nashville drama fighting over 200 fans. And that's the thing. They did the free tickets for so long that now you have an indie fan base of 200 people. Yeah. Only, now you have, now you have two feds trying to run in Nashville, Tennessee, a giant city. Now, granted where it is now. I mean, it was still a, a fairly big city in 2004, but 2022 Nashville is is a is a huge city. Um, but still, like Nashville was still huge. It was still huge. Oh no, ago. don't get me wrong; it was still huge many years ago. But I mean, it was it was a much it was much smaller in the USWA era, or the the CWA era. Yes. But yeah, I I, they, I know what you mean. Like it, it's. Like many southern towns, southern cities, they've exploded uh, yeah. within the last few decades. Yeah, you still had 545,000 compared to 690,000 now. So, But still, like that's a big – that's just city proper, which is, again, like a sad state of affairs when you think about wrestling as a whole because you're looking at the city, the city itself, 500 – like a half a million people in the city – and Nashville metropolitan area uh, then had 1.3 million people. So you you look at that like you can only draw 200 fans off of a, in in a region that has 1.3 million people. That's that's a sad state of affairs. Sad state of, sad state of business right there. Yeah. I, I I saw that and I just I was uh I was surprised that that they that they did that to that territory that it was that bad like I assumed like okay no indies drawing seven hundred to a thousand but I didn't know it was bad enough that literally there's two hundred fans that they that they have to split from and 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 listen people are on budgets you know sometimes they're gonna go oh, I can't go to both shows this week. Uh, and then you only get a hundred of those two hundred fans, or one fifty, or wherever it might be. Um, but yeah, it and Bert's part. It, this is Bert's fault. Like I know I've applauded a lot of things that Bert has done on this show. You know, he's a smart businessman. He's he's always adapted. He's always found a place. Uh, you can never get rid of Bert Prentice in wrestling. It seemed like um, when he was gone from one promotion, he was working for the next. Literally a day later, but. Looking, looking at this here, uh, he did this. This is his fault. Not all his fault. I'm sure TNA. Maybe he didn't want to do it in their life, but he went along with it. 
papering the towns, papering the fairgrounds. And this is where we're at. And quite honestly, I don't think the fairgrounds has had a successful wrestling show. I think NWA ran there, but until what they're going to have for Conrad on July 31st, which actually they moved that to the mince wall touring, but they're still doing new Japan at the fairgrounds. It, they, um, they moved, and, they moved it before tickets even went on sale. Is GCW so at the fairgrounds too? Yeah. Yeah. GCW, yeah. black Letter pro, uh, New Japan, we're all at the fairgrounds. Yeah. Um, I, and and, and I, all those shows will do well. I know that. I just said we, so I think that just exposed them. I'll be there. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all those shows. Uh, I, I have no doubt that that will do. Those shows do well. On uh, September 13, 2004, Jerry Jarrett will be. Jerry Jarrett, folks. We'll be promoting shows in Nashville with Burr Prentice using TNA wrestlers and local indie wrestlers. They're, they will use the USA Pro Wrestling name that Prentice has been using forever in Nashville with his various startups. Uh, take over uh, when the other guy fails sickle of promoting. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I got to read this. And he's right. The Burr Prentice has been using forever in Nashville with his various startup, sell, take over when the other guy fails cycle of promoting. That's it. That that is Bert in a nutshell, is it not? <laughs> I, yeah, it's it's Von Eric style of promoting too, <laughs> and and Robert Fuller and a lot of a lot of old promoters from back in the oh, day. Oh, the Fullers! I I think the Fullers sold Alabama, <laughs> and Chattanooga. I think like fifteen times. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 you you want Birmingham? Go ahead. And he just he just takes it right back. Um. All right. So yeah. Uh, so the first uh, back to this note here from the Observer. The first show will be October second, called Music City Memories, which sounds like a nostalgia show. It will be interesting to see if Jarrett will be allowed to use Jerry Lawler. Who would be the best draw? Lawler, who works a ton of indies. WWE policy has been to allow their announcers, who they don't book as wrestlers, to work indies. But they have aren't allowed to work against TNA talent, but can appear on the same shows with them. They will take over the explosion time slot on WNABTV in Nashville on September 11th with a show hosted by Scott Hudson. Jarrett, Jarrett will be booking and producing shows in a press release sent out by the promotion said they are attempting to get into get the TV into several markets and run a territory of weekly cities. This was the same goal that Memphis championship wrestling had to get their TV on a few other markets. The Memphis group ran a few successful nostalgia shows, but were never able to run a regular territory. They will also supply talent for Mike Porter, who does weekly small shows in Columbia and Springfield, Tennessee, and will also run weekly shows in Gottlesville, Tennessee. Jerry Jarrett has little to do with TNA these days, and those close with the situation says he's bored. Plus, he wanted to show Panda. They made a mistake by pulling out of the Nashville market since both Jerry and Jeff were against it. We didn't really touch on that. I I don't think they should have stayed in Orlando as long as they did, but it was smart. It was time to move on. The Orlando look looked different, and the Wednesday pay-per-views, were they really worth it at that point? I think it made a lot of sense to go to Nashville and just do all the impact tapings there. I mean, I'll go to Orlando, I'm sorry, and do all the impact tapings. Yeah, uh, I I think it's it's similar to like the WCW mentality of the early 90s, why they were running 
like why they started running Orlando for worldwide. Uh, it's you had to get out of the backwards middle nowhere southern towns that no one ever heard of, and you go to the, like the big. You're saying you're from Orlando, Florida. That that ha- that sounds more prestigious. Yeah. For 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 fans nationwide. Well, it's Universal so, Studio Studios compared to what fairgrounds. Yeah, fairgrounds in, in Nashville doesn't have a doesn't really sound good. Same thing if you're trying to sell advertising that doesn't really appeal. You want to appeal to fans all across the country, and now, that obviously was an issue. I don't know how much of it was perceived issues back in the early nineties, just be, in the in the eighties, especially in the eighties, with like how much of it was. Vince McMahon building up that, like, convincing sponsors that you want to work with him because he's based out of New York as opposed to a company that's based out of Charlotte, North Carolina, or these other towns. And why why uh, Jim Crockett and Dusty moved to Dallas because Dallas at that time was a better – a more a, – a bigger city than Charlotte. So I don't know how much of that was just myth. But I think there is a little bit of truth to that, just the fact of it sounds more prestigious to be from a, a city that's not like from the deep south. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think I think that was the that was the thought process, too, especially by the Carters and uh, probably some of the other TNA higher ups. A um, couple other things to note on this. And this is an interesting thing that I want to talk about. The note that Dave says about Jerry Lawler being allowed to work indies because he's not booked as a wrestler there. Um, and he's an announcer and that's okay. Uh, this is something that we, I don't think was a, we even thought was a policy until NEW took advantage of it like four years ago, because I don't think anybody booked anyone else other than Lawler. Am I wrong? That was an announcer that, didn't wrestle actively for WWE. I mean, Jim Ross wasn't booked in Indies. Josh Matthews wasn't booked in Indies. Jonathan I mean, Coachman took Indies. He did. Yeah, uh, that might have been Northeast, but I mean, he did do but, Northeast. But was that during it? It was when he was a heel in WWE. He would wow. He would work. Him and Lawler did the loop. Like him and Lawler would go out and do comedy matches. I did not know that. Yeah, they actually worked Northeast Wrestling. I know in. that I know that like I realized this was a policy when Northeast started booking Renee Young and Corey Graves uh to to you know sign autographs and to appear at their shows. Um But yeah, I had no idea that that was a yeah that 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 coachman did it because I'm starting I'm trying to think of roster and I think Booker T's thing was it was his school. So that's why I never thought anything of it. Okay, Booker T could work reality wrestling because it's a school. Yeah, uh, two-on-one handicap match. Jerry Lawler defeats Jonathan Coachman and Romeo Roselli at Northeast Wrestling Spring, Sta- Spring Slam, April 2007. Well, there you go, folks. This is why we love rediscovering the indies. Jonathan Coachman, indie wrestler. There, there you have it. No, I would, I would have had no idea. I mean, it's a little, it's a little bit different now because I don't think like Nigel McGinnis and um, Nigel can't wait. work. I mean, he could yeah. Fr- well, I mean, I like mean, him if he wanted Barrett's. to do an autograph signing like Corey Graves and Renee Young did for NEW, I'm sure he could. 
Yeah, autograph signing's different, but I'm saying like him, like Wade Barrett, they're not going out getting bookings because their career's pretty much over. They're not. No. They're, they're not looking at like, same thing with Corey Graves. Corey, like, he retired because of injury. Plus, like, he has such a good gig right now. Like, he doesn't need to. But I'm saying, like, if obviously with Renee being able to go out there and do that, like, you still have that ability as an announcer. It's just like none of the announcers that they have right now that were active wrestlers are actually out there working on the indies or probably have a desire to do it. So you hear that, Super Indies? Try to book Pat McAfee. <laughs> I, I would go. I would, I would book Byron Saxton as the biggest heel. Oh yeah, that that's a real good one. Oh yeah, you know I'm from the big leagues. <laughs> Oh, he could do all the Andy Kaufman spots. It's, oh, it's great. Oh, it would be fantastic. Um, if anyone steals that idea, give us credit, or at least a job. Do you think I could book Excalibur in there, too, and have him and Byron go back and forth? Yeah, right. Well, I feel like AEW doesn't have the same policy. Yeah. Um, though, I feel like if they those guys wanted to, they could. I mean, Shivani's doing the, the flare match, so. Yeah, it was more open to that. Excalibur is still involved with PWG, obviously. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, he's still involved with that. So, um, uh, and, and yeah, I think other than that, uh, you know, they're, they're working with small promoters in Tennessee, which this was something that Bo James has mentioned that, that a lot of promoters in the area did. Um, you kind of coordinate dates, and coordinate venues, and that's what you should do. You know, you don't, you don't, you already have a limited fan base as it is. Don't try to step on each other's toes. Um, September 20th, 2004. This is on the figure four weekly. Burt Prentice's USA Wrestling signed a 38-show lease at the Nashville Fairgrounds. It'll be interesting to see how those shows do, which guys work on them, and that sort of thing. The fans in the area have been conditioned to some pretty major league wrestling by indie standards over the past several years. And that's another thing we're not talking about. The free tickets, but we're also talking about guys like Sting being at the National Fairgrounds and now it's like Micropata. And nothing against Micropata, but he's not Sting. Yeah, there's no name value now. Yeah. And the and, fact of like 38 shows is kind of a weird number, but would that be like I think 8 months? Give or take. Like the, yeah, it's What do you think was a more overrated wrestling venue? The Nashville Fairgrounds or the ECW Arena? You mean overrated? Um, like all these promotions ran it because they saw there was so much value in it, but maybe they were overvaluing it. Oh, ECW Arena. Um, when That's you look what at, I would have said. When too. you look at everything for the 2000s, you look at like ECW drew pretty well, but also Heyman was a master at like camera angles and shooting, like not shooting the bad parts of that building. And then you look at CZW and Shakara, uh, footage of them uh, on IWTV and just look at that and it just it exposed how bad that building looks. But um, yeah. side note, like it's been talked about how nice that building is now. Um, my, my cohorts in GoPro Wrestling actually worked a Monster Factory show there a few weeks ago. And uh, told me, like, gave me, like, the rundown of how nice that place is now. Because you see it on video. You hear people talk about it, I guess. Uh, like, the production values of the lighting rig and the fact of the venue and all of the 
all of the pillars, they now have video hookups. So you just plug your camera into one of those pillars. So like every pillar has video and audio wired into it. Like that, the new guy that's in charge of that really went above and beyond to set that building up for success. Which looking at that, like I don't know why not. I don't know why more feds ain't running there now. If you're, if you really have a mindset for production, like that's the building to run in, in my opinion. Yeah, I know there's a couple that still run it regularly, but but uh, I I remember seeing it um, Ronda Rousey show on ESPN when she had Devon Dudley and Paul Heyman on. They're in there, but you could tell it's it's not as gritty and and and, and dirty that it used to be, that it used to be. No, just the fact that they like they have concession stands now and like nice concession stands and like a, a dining area and like a lobby, an actual lobby. You're not just entering through the the side door now. Like it, they really did a good job. I guess the crow's nest isn't there because I was never there pre-renovation, so I can't speak on that. But I guess like it's a completely different look and vibe inside of it now, and much smaller than it used to be. Again, obviously, like they put the money into it. All right, uh, moving on to September 20, 2004, Jer- Jerry Jarrett appeared on camera for Burt Prentice's TV show in Nashville briefly this weekend as they promoted their new group that runs the fairgrounds. So, J- so Jerry Jarrett, who's still technically kind of an owner for TNA, is all over Bert- Burt's TV. And I would imagine Burt at this point has left TNA, right? Because he's not going to Orlando. So it seems like... I mean, they say he's still an employee, and so is Tony Falk, but I feel like they're done. I mean, Burt Prentice was an employee, too, but I don't think Burt made those trips all the time, yeah. too. Like, I think there were – they their offices still were in Nashville. Yeah, so they could like, do Like, even up until – I mean, I, I, their office is still in Nashville to this day because <laughs> I know they were up until – even after Corgan was involved and Dixie was out, like, it was still – they still had their offices in Nashville. Um, October 4th, 2004, Jerry Jarrett, who never appeared on TV for TNA, was already on TV for Burt Prentice's group, uh, which got the explosion time slot in Nashville. They talked about bringing wrestling back to the fairgrounds on October 2nd. It was funny because they were knocking TNA. Prentice emphasized that this is old school rock'em, sock'em wrestling, and they weren't giving away tickets for free. Jarrett pushed his book and then showed a trailer of the Sting movie, since Prentice has a small role in it and is in the trailer. Wait, what? Wait a minute. Burt Prentice was in a movie? (laughs) (laughs) All right, IMDb, don't fail me here. Just so you guys know, I glance in the notes. I do not read the notes in full detail before we do this. Um, oh, no, he's, in, that, he's in a moment of truth. Which, have you ever seen Sting Moment of Truth, Ash? No, but I, with that name. Oh, you, you, knowing, need, knowing you need to watch Sting, this. Knowing it's, Sting was a... It's a Christian Christian, it's a Christian film. Okay. He plays a it, wrestling it, coach. Okay, I was saying, is it going to be like one of those The Left Beyond series with uh, Kirk Cameron? <laughs> You know what it kind of remind me of? <laughs> it kind of remind me of the Jesse Ventura bio movie. Oh, the the NBC one. Yes. But um, by the way, I never, I don't think I ever recorded that on VHS, which I don't know why. Back then, I was recording everything. Like, I desperately want to see that movie again because it was so bad. 
I just remember, I remember when it, like watching it live when it happened and never being able to go back and see it. I need to find that. I need to find that on the usual channels. Uh, Rudy Charles, uh, also known as Dan Engler, was in the movie, and uh, actually, uh, um, he uh, fan of the show. He's actually uh, sent us some really nice messages. Uh, kind of, uh, he was, was very thankfully recovering. Bert was a topic that really isn't covered, and he was just kind of explaining. You know, Bert, Bert promoted country concerts and even did a, uh, I believe he did a baby shower. Promoted a baby shower. Uh, for, for for Dan Angler, which is kind of cool. They said it was like the only baby shower in professional wrestling, which which is pretty neat. Now, nowadays, I think people are doing the baby reveals, but but yeah, no, uh, but yeah, Dan Angler's in this movie. Jeff Jarrett, Conan, uh, Jeremy Borash is in this movie, uh, and then of course Sting. So I'm assuming they filmed this in Tennessee. Yeah, with with who's in it. it like the wrestling portion had to have been at the fairgrounds or so, like at least around town. Yeah. So Burr Prentice was in a movie, which, which is just abs- absolutely fantastic. Um, October 11th, uh, 2004, uh, USA championship wrestling, the group Burr Prentice is running that Jerry Jarrett was supposed to be booking ran its return show on October 2nd in Nashville, at the fairgrounds. This was the test as Jarrett was hoping that TNA had cultivated an audience in Nashville and the Carters were giving up, uh, the show without giving free tickets drew about 175 fans using some of the TNA wrestlers, including Storm as a ref, Michael Shane and the Naturals, as well as Ryan Wilson, who TNA wants to groom for stardom. But he's so green right now, they have kept him off TV while uh, he, since he was doing the red shirt security gimmick, as well as 80s territory veteran wrestler Ken Wayne and OVW's Joey Matthews. So we actually have results from Cage Match for the Music City Memories show. Um, and I believe, yeah. So from this here, let's see, let's see memories. Okay. Here. Yep. So this has, it's Dermal Quinn defeats Cat Taylor void effect, which were AM vision and zero defeated Jason Brisbane and Sean Schultz. Uh, Ryan Wilson defeated Hammerjack Cassidy Riley defeated Chris Michaels. Chris O'Neill defeated Seth Knight with John Michael Jerry Lawler with April Pennington defeated Kid Cash with Dallas, a.k.a. Lance Hoyt. Uh, Matt Kittle wanted to defeat Big Bully Douglas. Chris Harris defeated Abyss. The Naturals, Andy Douglas and Chase Stevens, uh, defeat Risky Business, Chris Vaughn and Rick Santel. And then James Storm defeated Mike Shaw. Uh, Mike Shane, Michael Shane, I'm sorry, by disqualification. Um yeah, so that and and that's the Music City Memory Show, which we're going to kind of talk about in the next note here. October 20, 2004, Jared Jared and Burpreneur's USA Championship Wrestling ran the fairgrounds in Nashville on October 16th for a Law vs. Cash main event, a heated match with Lawler 1, which included Cash giving his moneymaker, which is a double arm pile driver, uh, move to Lawler's second, April Pennington. Lawler using a stunner on Cash to a big pop, and eventually Dallas interference backfired, and Lawler won with the pile driver. On TV, Lawler, the babyface in his promo, ran down TNA and its fans chanted TNA reject at Cash. Several DNA regulars included Chris Harris, Chris Harris, James Storm, Abyssa Naturals, and Mike Shane, as well as much of the front office, were at the show, which drew 275 fans and $3,691. 
Uh, the bad news is that the crowd has left after Lawler's match, which was put in the middle of the show, and they missed an old-school heat ending where Harris and Storm were beaten down by a ton of heels with Storm bleeding from the mouth from five super kicks. And and carried out by John Bolin, the bodybuilder who won the TNA gut check competition, was apparently someone who people involved in the company invited to come as opposed to someone who showed up on the Mascarita Sagrada versus Paratita match. Uh, the actual call made by Sagrada, who uh, on, made by Sagrada, who he wanted to work with, the original Esperacito was talked about, but Sagrada apparently said he didn't trust him making the day because of his drinking issue. So uh, that, I think that was a, I think that was a run on sentence. By they, Dave. they threw some TNA stuff in area, but uh, yeah. So how about this? Lawler is being a babyface, making fun of TNA, while you have all the TNA people here. Not that he was a babyface, that he just cut a TNA promo and the fans cheered him. <laughs> like, it's just 225 fans, too. I mean, free tickets or not, for the, I mean, there was about 700 people at, at the fairgrounds, and, and at one point in TNA, at least half of them were buying tickets. That's bad. 275 for all those names. And also... I- I'm sure the majority of those fans hated TNA by that point anyways because TNA abandoned them. Like, TNA left them. That was the same the same thing that killed one – the, one of the many factors that killed Jim Crockett Promotions when they left some of the small towns. They left Greensboro. Like, you you, you lose the fan – you, you lose the dedication of the fans at that point. Um, and like TNA, like yeah, they go to Atlanta, Orlando, and they never really came back to Nashville for an extended period of time because you're not going to get that fan base back at that point. And I like, you know, there's a lot of criticism to be made sometimes with Dave, and I think it's fair. Um, you know, we 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 you know we we talk about this on my other podcasts uh, once in a while, like, but. J- the say John Bolin was a bodybuilder who won the gut check challenge. Like he was a wrestler working for border city wrestling before he won the gut check challenge. Like, sure. He was a bodybuilder. I'll give you that. But I mean, he's well, wait a minute. Maybe Dave is right on us. First match is 05. This is 04. This can't be right. I might be wrong, and Dave might be right, and I apologize about that, but did, did Bullen now wrestle before he won the gut check? Because uh, I always thought he was just a Demore guy. Demore got him in there. Trainer Scott Demore. Beginning yeah. of in-ring career, October 16th, 2004. So he started right around this time. So he. This is the show. Been... This is the show. Okay. So there you have it. All right. I, I learned something new today. Uh, more than Burt Prentice being in a movie and uh, the Jonathan Coachman on the Indies. John Boland's debut. Uh, who's still? I think. I think he's still wrestling in the Midwest. Uh, but uh, his debut was on the uh, was on this show. Yeah, yeah, I, I think... was wrong. I, I thought he was working before that. Wow, that's it. I, I learned something new there. Uh, yeah, I think he think he still is. Like he's he's been a mainstay in that area, like the Great Lakes area. 
Uh, yeah. there was, there's been and times like we've worked with him on a regular basis here and there with feds throughout the yes. years. Yeah. It looks like he did Russell Rex back in, uh, June 30th. So not too long ago. Um, yeah, yeah, was, with, Vic, was in, with Victor, Victor Benjamin and the great bulk nasty. Yeah, and he actually, uh, I saw Border City Wrestling's back for the first time in a few years, so I'm sure he'll he'll be involved with that project as well. Um, so we don't really have anything in the uh, Observer from October 2004 until May of 2005. Uh, I'm going to see if there's just any. Okay, so maybe we should look at New Year's Retribution, which looks like a big show for USA Championship Wrestling and Cage Match. To note here, you got uh, Doug Gilbert defeating Chase Stevens in the main event. I think that's the biggest thing to note on that New Year's Revolution show. All right, so we'll go to the uh, Observer with with Dave here, because yeah, I don't think there's anything before May that's worth talking about. No, no nothing in the Observer, like, but with the results... He was still running, like Bert was still running semi regularly regular shows. I don't say semi regular regular shows. Just there's there's a few gaps on Cage Match where like a month or two might be missing, but like there's a steady stream of results. And yeah, the nothing nothing really out of the ordinary. Same talent that we've been discussing on here. Drawing yeah. drawing in Nashville. Some have some have. Uh, Attendance, some don't. So obviously, like, there's no attendance. That means they there's no if there's no attendance listed, they obviously didn't didn't draw well. Uh, May second, two thousand five, they did another Memphis nostalgia show on April sixteenth at the Mid South Coliseum. They were down to twelve hundred fans because it really wasn't much in the way of nostalgia. Is only Jerry Lawler was there from the good old days. Well, Reggie B. Fine was there, but the best you could say about him is that he was an opening match guy during the last part of the OK old days. Hey, Reggie Reggie B. Fine was entertaining. Also, the Lawler vs. Promoter TV announcer Corey Macklin feud appears to have gone beyond running its course. Even Jimmy Hart wasn't there, and he had a charity appear as he had a charity appearance in Paris, Texas, uh, running and. Um, putting together a show to help out the local VFW raise money to purchase phone cards for troops to call home. It was an evening show and he was hoping he could do the show and fly to Memphis, uh, the show for the main event. Uh, but logistically that wasn't going to happen. It did a storyline TV where Eugene of WWE had kidnapped Hart and put him in the trunk and was going to drive off the show as it went off the air. You just heard someone screaming in the trunk who they acted like was Hart even though it wasn't, as Eugene left, the only match that they had built up was Lawler and new girlfriend Renee against Corey Macklin and Paula, formerly Paula Lawler, who was Jerry's wife in the 80s when the both were local TV celebrities. Apparently, this match was horrible to a degree humans can't even imagine since Renee and Paula have no wrestling training and Macklin has limited experience. Paula was cutting promos on TV telling Renee since Lawler cheated on her, he'll probably cheat on you. People were saying that Paula, who has gone to her early 30s, looked better than Lawler's young girlfriend or his last wife. With Hart gone, they used Prentice in Jerry Lawler's corner since they had already booked 
Eugene to be in Macklin's corner. Lawler worked twice, doing another old Memphis gimmick from the Austin Idol feud. Lawler as the heel, Russell Cassidy Riley as the TNA guy, who does jobs on impact. Riley was billed as a U.S. champion from Prentice's indie group. He had been on TV beating guys in Lawler's army every week, leading to a TV match with Lawler. He pinned Lawler with a distractor from Eugene and Macklin on TV. Lawler got so mad that he said if he didn't win the title from Riley, he would refund everyone's ticket money. Of course, with that stipulation... The guaranteed who won. <laughs> but this worked in Memphis. Like, it, I i mean, it worked. I mean, I'm sure it didn't work as well in 05 that it did in 1984. But No, but the, the draw, that, obviously. That was the thing. Because like, this, this was a law or go-to, wasn't it? I feel like he's done this a few times. Uh, it was a Memphis staple. I know. I know. Cornette did similar angles. Cornette did stuff like that before too. And like, if he, uh, if the babyface doesn't send the heel to the hospital, he'll refund his money. So like that yep. whole step, like that's that that's a mainstay of the the Tennessee territory. Um, for the May 4, 2005 uh, Observer, Burr Prentice, uh, who had two WWE versus TNA matches, uh, built his one Wrestling Worlds Collide on, Mar- on April 22nd, USA Championship Wrestling Show in Chattanooga before 300 fans. Wonder how WWE felt considering the TNA guys won both times. Chris Harris pinned Jerry Lawler in 1445. Eugene was in Harris's corner, and Lawler worked as a heel because they are using a Memphis TV wrestling show where Lawler is the top heel to promote the show. Lawler got its foot on the ropes when Harris pinned him, but Eugene shoved it so the ref never saw it. Lawler is the U.S. champ for the group, but it was a non-title match. Lawler still ended up cheered when it was over. The other was a TNA guy. TNA job guy Cassie Riley over WWE prelim guy Simon Dean in a total comedy match. Dean punched Riley with a barbell collar via DQ. Um, Real quick, I do want to go back to the angle on the Memphis and Soldier show. I never knew that Lawler's ex-wife was involved with this. Like, obviously, we know of Stacy, but that's the only one I thought I ever knew of being in the business. Well, obviously, she wasn't in the business, but yeah, I I get what you mean, like being involved. But like, was that desperation just to try to draw a house? Yeah, like... You know, let's yeah, let let's do something with Lawler's ex-wife. That that that's that Memphis. That's that Memphis Heath. That you know, make it family, make it personal. Uh, uh, See, so yeah, I I found that interesting there too. Uh, and his feud with Corey Macklin. Uh, you know, Corey Macklin, one of the more over enthusiastic announcers uh, ever professional wrestling. Um, and unfortunately, I think we did lose him a few years ago. Uh, but Corey Macklin, he's a, he's an interesting character. He might be somebody we do on a future episode of Rediscover the Indies. Um, well, like I said, I definitely want to talk about the Hogan Big Show match, and he's heavily involved with that. Uh, now, to this note, though, from Dave, um, the Eugene thing, and now Simon Dean's involved, and I think Eugene at this point, he, he might have got sent back to OVW. Uh, I believe so. Yeah, I believe his WWE run is pretty much. So done are they by just letting point. OVW guys really just do shows? I mean, like they did in two thousand one. I mean, they've worked with Bert before, so it's probably like on your day off. It, it might. 
it might have also just been like under the radar. Well, Dinsmore might have asked a favor too because we read those old results and Dinsmore's working for him in the nineties. So Eugene, so he might have asked for a favor, and then but, Simon Dean being a trainer at that point in OVW probably just let me look being in the office of talent scout something he was in OVW. Okay, so Eugene. Eugene's in 2005. Eugene worked January 2005. January 9th, uh, New Year's Re- Revolution. Eugene and Regal defeat Christian and Tyson Tomko. And then there's nothing for Eugene until July of 2005. And then he's on Raw doing and then doing the house show loop, Monday Night Raw, Sunday Night Heat consistently. So is he off with an injury? So that would explain it. If he's off with an injury, he's back in OVW rehabbing. Yeah, doing a rehab, yeah, and then kind of just doing these little shows and having some fun. I um, feel, for some reason, I th- it's coming to mind that, like, Eugene got hurt during a match. Um, possibly, yeah. Uh, let me see. At a house show in Winnipeg, Eugene... Was replaced by Jonathan Coachman after he suffered a legit ruptured left patella tendon in the match at New Year's Revolution. So, yeah, he did get hurt in the match. So that would explain it. So I think WWE is probably more lenient about, like, just get out and get some work. Because what did he do? He he also worked in OVW that year. OVW, he did – oh, he did one match in July in OVW. Um, and he also worked Puerto Rico. <laughs> In June of 05. Which IWA was kind of a loose affiliate to them, I think, too. It was at IWA, right? I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At that point, IWA was a loose affiliate to them. Um, before, Eugene, like, Dutch Eugene, was sending TNA people there. Eugene and Ricky Banderas defeat Jean-Pierre Lafitte and Shane, which is... Oh, Glamour Boy Shane. PCO's doing the pirate gimmick in 2005? Yes. This show, I have learned so much on this show. Jean-Pierre Lafitte and Shane Sewell. Yep. A.K.A. Yeah, Glenn Boy Shane. Yeah, Glenn Boy tag Shane. team, yeah. Who was over. Like, very, very over during during that time period. Um, so, the, the Observer doesn't pick up again until 2008. I just kind of want to mention something and highlight a couple shows from it. He changes the name again. <laughs> now, he eventually becomes USA Championship Wrestling again, but he changes the name in 06, and it changes to Nashville Wrestling. Just call Nashville Wrestling. Um, but yet, he's running in Illinois. <laughs> yes. And well, I mean, he's mostly running in Tennessee, and Nashville, but the, he has a. But he's he running in Illinois, routes. which is crazy. Yeah, he has a, um, a few results from Illinois. I do kind of want to read just some of these results for it looks like the bigger shows. The Flag Day Spectacular, June 14, 2006. Uh, to note, we have Big Bully Douglas defeating Mike Rapata Jr. Um, did he just put a junior in his name? <laughs> uh, 
Ace Rockwell defeating Tracy Smothers, The Naturals defeating Chad Parham and Sal Renaro of NWA fame, uh, James Storm defeating Shane Williams, and your main event was a hair versus hair where Rick Santel defeated Chris Vaughn. And those guys were heavily involved in TNA, and they, they just weren't picked up to Orlando. You really didn't see either of those guys uh, after the move. Um, yeah, and like going through the notes, I did come across a little tidbit too. I didn't put it in because it's not pertinent to to Bert's story, but uh, a little story about like all of the Canadian guys that moved down to Nashville. And Giant Divide moved down to Nashville a few weeks before TNA closed up shop and moved to Orlando. But like that was I, I was working for a company in Rochester in 2006 2007 that uh, for some reason booked Giant Divine semi regularly, and he was based out of Nashville. And I remember him telling us that like he worked as a bouncer in Nashville at the time and just picking up indie bookings wherever he could in the area. And he said there was no shortage of. No shortage of wrestlers in the Nashville area at that point because not only him, Eric Young, and all of the Canadian contingent, but you had talent from all over the country that in 2003, 2004, 2005 just packed up shop and moved to, T- moved to Nashville with the hopes of getting TNA work. Yeah, and then boom. Well, we should have went, went to Florida. Yeah. But I mean, there were, but again, like, you look at some of these results here in 2006, 2007, not just with Burt, but other companies, other feds around this area too. And like you had a lot of good talent that were sticking around there that you could, you could pull from. Uh, now, uh, moving on here, uh, like to 2007, uh, December 24, 2007, they ran Christmas Eve and they ran an event called Christmas chaos. And notes here. Uh, first off, Eric Wayne defeats LT Falk. LT Falk, the son of Tony Falk. Uh, Chase Stevens, defe- Chase Stevens defeating Shane Schultz. Uh, we got Matt Boyce with Christopher Love. That's Bert. Bert's managing here. That's Christopher Love <laughs> defeating Greg King Jr. Uh, we got Keith Knox defeating Lana Kialoa. Um, and then uh, your main event was Teddy Tender. Defeats Kid Nichols. So, as you can see, name value has dropped in a year to two year time frame. And I think he's probably using a lot of locals, maybe students, really kind of budgeting at this point, it seems. Yeah. Um, for a sh- but for a show that is being advertised as Christmas Chaos, you would think on Christmas Eve, uh, he'd probably fill it up. But, like, yeah, Chase Stevens was one of his guys at this point, and uh, he's heavily involved. Um, but let me check. Let me check a. Let me check another show and see. Maybe it's just because it's Christmas Eve, he had an issue getting guys. Um, oh, he had he had Aaron Stevens working previous shows. Um, Damien Sandow. But other than that, yeah, that's pretty much that was pretty much his roster at that point in time. And I had no idea this late in the game that OVW guys were working other places. Yeah. Well, I think it depends, like, how many guys had contracts and how many guys needed to go out and get work. Cornette's gone at this point. Because obviously Cornette would have been fine with that. 
it, Cornet, I mean, Cornet was probably a big proprietor of it. Um, yeah, but Cornet was Cornet was involved in TNA at that point too, so I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was still helping out OVW, oh, like giving advice to OVW, and probably set them up with Bert at that point because now he's OVW guys. Yeah, but I, I'm just surprised that the regime like so. Oh, that Heyman, they allowed it, and then after Heyman, who was who was it? Al Snow after Heyman. Um. I know Dreamer handled it, but I think Dreamer... It was probably Dreamer. I mean, I guess Dreamer would have... I guess all those guys would have wanted guys to work, but it's weird that WWE would allow it at that late of the game, I think. Um, Because at this point, you got TNA, you got Ring of Honor, like, there's... You know, why try to help those... So it is very interesting that because they weren't letting their main roster guys take third party bookings at this point. No, but but again, like you, it's you're under developmental deal that was always allowed, and that was a big reason though to be severed ties to OVW because they didn't have full control over it. It would never happen, but imagine if they allowed that to happen nowadays. It would probably benefit a lot of these NXT talents. Oh, so many especially, of the NXT Especially the converted athletes. Like, hey, yeah, you can... No, go out there and, 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 and work shows in Florida. I mean, definitely yeah. now when... You know, uh, let, let their women's wrestlers work for Shine. <laughs> yeah. Um, definitely now that... Well, they're, they're slowly starting back up the coconut loop. But, like, during the pandemic when they didn't have that, like, there was nowhere for, this, for the PC talent to go work. Like, they definitely would have benefited from getting out there and working indies. But then it falls in the same the same reason why they stopped third party bookings in the late nineties, where you had an influx of sketchy promotions and sketchy promoters where you couldn't let your talent work a shindy that you didn't trust you you didn't trust that they had a good ring or that your talent wasn't gonna get hurt. The talent that it's under contract to you, and if they get hurt, you can't you can't release them. So again, I understand the reasoning, um, but yeah, there definitely there's definitely advantages to allowing that that forbidden door. All right, uh, uh, October twenty seventh, two thousand eight. We'll go back to the observer here. Burt Prentice is doing a show on November seventh at the National Fairgrounds. Build is the 35th anniversary of wrestling royalty. Actually, Lawler started in 1970, but they don't need to quibble. Lawler versus Snitsky with Jimmy Hart. Managing Snitsky is the only thing announced, but they are saying many of Lawler's longtime wrestling fan friends will be appearing on the show. Um, and we have results for that here because I don't think they have them. They have a little bit in the Observer, and we'll kind of read the whole card. Uh, Burt Prentice is from November 26th. Burt Prentice is a show on November 7th in Nashville celebrating 35 years of Jerry Lawler, even though he's now been wrestling 39 years. Drew 657 fans and $8,000 as Lawler pinned Sid Vicious in the main event after a low blow. Jimmy Hart was brought in as Sid's manager reprising the 80s versus Lawler versus Hart feud that they also did in Memphis in recent years. Lawler was accompanied in the ring by Jim White, who was his first tag team championship partner. 
Uh, and then uh, here's the full card here. I got the card. We have Ollie Stevens and Alan Shepard defeating Justin O'Day and Travis Sawyer. Uh, Shane Williams defeating Lana Kalawea. Uh, Steve Boz defeating Idol Stevens. The Naturals, Andy Douglas and Shane Stevens defeating Big Bully Douglas. And Seven, which not not not. I don't think the Seven. It was an OVW. Uh, Matt Boys defeating Sean Schultz, Brian Christopher and Doug Gilbert defeating the Moon Dogs. They don't know which Moon Dogs these were, and then Jerry Lawler with Jim White defeating Sid Vicious with Jimmy Hart. Still not as star-studded as you think it would be. No, uh, yeah, you'd think uh, thirty Jerry Lawler thirty-five. It would. Like, be, where's uh, Bill Dundee? Yeah, <laughs> well, maybe Lawler was on the outs with him. <laughs> It seemed to happen every few years. Possibly, yeah. But you at least, yeah, yeah, you got the Naturals. You've got Brian Christopher. You got Doug Gilbert. You got some Moon Dogs. <laughs> Mysterious like, Moon Dogs. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much all you can really ask for in the late two thousands. We're gonna fast forward October fifth, two thousand nine. Observer, uh, sometimes indie promoter and former Memphis manager Burr Prentice starts radiation treatment on October fifth for colon cancer after completing chemotherapy uh and there was a follow-up from that november 23rd 2009 former manager and promoter and newsletter writer if you want to go back that far enough burr prentice uh is recovering from surgery and his doctors declared him cancer free so 2009 he had a really uh obviously a really severe health scare and then uh he fought through it uh and, and you know and and you know we didn't lose him until very recently so uh Definitely got a second lease on life uh, as he fought through and, and he successfully beat cancer in 2009. Uh, May 31st, 2010. Now, skip, skip forward to 2010. Jerry Lawler is starting his own promotion in Memphis called Jerry Lawler's Memphis Wrestling. He's got television at 11 a.m. on Saturday morning on Channel 50, debuting on June 5th, which was the time slot that flourished during the 70s and early 80s in the city. They did the first TV taping on May 21st. Brandon Baxter. Hollywood Jimmy and Burt Prentice did the announcing with Baxter, a former manager in the area who last I heard was working as a radio DJ, as the lead. Corey Macklin, now running for county clerk, who had been promoted in Memphis as of late as last year, was not involved with the show. They ran a small building that held 150 or so people and packed it. Coco Ware, Brian Christopher, and Derek King uh, were the biggest names there besides Lawler. Buddy Wayne and Guy Coffey who had been around the Memphis scene since the beginning of time, worked backstage, and were co-commissioners. Kevin Lawler was also involved. The idea is to run shows in the area and have affiliation with WWE. They taped three shows. Still trying to still trying to reach out to that Saturday morning legacy, huh, Ash? Yeah, and uh, um, it, it's just amazing. Like I know they've been working together here, but in previous episodes where we've discussed how especially in the late nineties at Lawler Lawler and Prentice were not the best of friends. And now they're heavily in business together. It's not just Bert booking Lawler on some big shows, but it's obviously Lawler's now using Prentice for his own thing. Um, yeah. They're, they're trying to repackage or try to revitalize that Saturday morning wrestling at this point by 2010 it's been 20 years it's been a full generation since the heyday of of the territory like i think they're just they just keep trying to they keep trying 
the old tricks without realizing like you have to do something new. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, this is a fun lineup. Don't get me wrong, but 150 people to tape Saturday morning TV. That just wasn't the model in 2010. I mean, you, you really couldn't do that. I mean, I guess they're doing NWA now and they seem to be successful, but in 2010, I don't think there was a enough of a nostalgia market for that. If you know what I mean. And I don't think this really took off. Um, from looking, like, I couldn't really find too much about it. But, like, Lawler, if Lawler wrestled, he didn't. If you wrestle regularly for this promotion, there's no record of it on Cage Match. So this just might have been a. Not one and done, but like a few shows and done. Yeah, it it was probably like a novelty. Like, hey, when what if we lived the good old days again? And it probably just wasn't what they they thought it would be. Um, we fast forward here, two thousand fifteen, uh, June twenty second, two thousand fifteen. Perhaps a small issue in Jackson is that Burt Prentice had run a Jerry Lawler fortieth anniversary show. I guess forty sounded better than forty five. That drew a thousand. 100 fans the prior weekend using far bigger area names, most notably Lawler, Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, Bill Dundee, as well as Tommy Dreamer, James Storm, and Sabu. But that's still relatively minor. But 1,100 fans to do the Lawler anniversary. And listen, he would do these Lawler anniversaries. He would do one again that we'll talk about in 2020. Uh, we have nothing until 2018, which do we have any notable shows? Do we have a couple notable shows I want to talk about? We'll talk about the tribute that Lance Russell uh, here in Cage Match, October 24, 2015. Alex Taylor defeating Kevin Zeon. Daniel Eads uh, defeating Nathan Starr. Uh, I think actually, I actually just recently ring announced a Daniel Eads match. Uh, Danny Dollar uh, defeating Kevin White. The Rock and Roll Express, Robert Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson defeating Naughty by Nature, which is Poker Face and Rude. Uh, Chase Stevens and Thorne. Um, just Thorne <laughs> defeated the Young Lions, Kevin Coffin, and Lex Lee. And then Matt Starr defeated Matt Boyce to win a USA Championship Wrestling Heavyweight title. And the main event was Jerry Lawler defeating Terry Funk by disqualification. Um, so Funk's out here in 2015. Um, that had to be one of the last few last matches for Funk, right? It was around this time period. I think he started really slowing, truly I mean, slowing his totally? head. I mean, he probably uh, did Japan probably in 17, but... Oh, he he did him and Lawler worked multiple times in the 2010s. Yeah, um, but like this one in 15 is that like like where is his cage match on for matches? Yeah, it's his uh, third last match. Okay, that that's what I figure. I think that was the time he basically period. did. Yeah, he did the big time wrestling shows in 2017 where it was he tagged with Rock and Roll Express okay. against Brian Christopher, Doug Gilbert, and Jerry Lawler, which were actually very entertaining matches. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that, was, that just sounds fun, actually. I think it was on the Power Slam Network, which would have been high, probably on High Spots Network, I would assume. But I've seen them uh, for Big Time Wrestling. I've seen at least one of them already. Um, they did two. They did uh, Raleigh and then the next day in Spartansburg. 
Um, we got USA Championship Wrestling Saturday Memories. I want to talk about two June 30, 2017. Christian James defeats Sean Hoodrich. Derek King defeated Matt Boyce. Jacob Law defeated LT Folk. Gary Valley and Coco Beware beat Justin Boys and the Avenger. Joker defeated Kevin Zeon and Thorne. The Star Twins defeated the Misfits. And in the main event, Jerry Lawler with Jimmy Hart defeated Doug Gilbert with Lucky P. Whoever Lucky P may be. Um... All right, here, yeah. And then uh, really nothing notable for our next note. They do like a co-show with a promotion in Georgia, but we don't have to really talk about that. It wasn't like a big promotion. He's changed the logo at this point. The logo has now changed again. It's a different USA Championship Wrestling, and this logo has changed five times <laughs> within about a 12-year time span. Uh, but we'll move on to October 29, 2018. Pro wrestler and promoter Matt Rivera is now president of Right Now TV an Atlanta-based digital network with affiliates across the U.S. It's supposed to be a network to appeal with men with the slogan, tougher than the rest. Uh, Matt has spent 20-plus years in the sports entertainment industry, said CEO and founder of RNTV, Rob Coker. With his television and promotional background, Matt Riviera will be a driving force to help spearhead the launch of this network as we ramp up with new affiliates being added each week. The channel will include the Jackson, Tennessee-based USA Championship Wrestling, Upper Apprentice, which uses Jerry Lawler at its, as its top star in TCW Wrestling. Uh, there's also interest in viable old pro wrestling tape libraries um what old libraries were they going to buy in 2018 <laughs> i mean wb had a lot of the good notable ones wb um, had them all uh, uh there was nothing not um it was pretty much nothing out there like mid-south was the last holdout and they would they bought it by this point i watched during the pandemic i actually watched a good amount of birds TV, but I watched it on YouTube. Um, Matt Revere was a top guy. Uh, and he seemed to be like a guy that's been around forever, but not really, really got opportunities or anything like that. Uh, but you can see here, it looks like he had a, he was probably had a day job working for TV companies. Um, I mean, he was the pr- pr- president of that television, so, so maybe he couldn't do a full schedule. And that's why. Uh, June 1st, 2020, Tennessee opened up its independent wrestling this past weekend. There are three shows that we're aware of, but now the question, which becomes what happens from here, is a state of COVID-19 bulletin would seem to ban pro wrestling for now. Burr Prentice's USA Championship Wrestling ran on May 22nd in Dixon, Tennessee, before 150 fans with city officials at the show overwatching it. He also ran on May 23rd in Jackson, Tennessee, the new home of Studio 45, and drew 100 fans with the city officials present. So, this you can't really is, blame him for low draws here, obviously. No. This is the first, though. We're talking about pandemic stuff in history. Isn't that crazy, Ash? <laughs> um, but to talk about this, June 2020 was about when wrestling returned in Tennessee. It didn't come back to New York till July of 2021. It was like, I think July was when everybody came back. Or June, I think. June or July. Was that May? It was June or July, but it was in the summer of 2021, a whole year later, that Tennessee was allowing pro wrestling to come back. Oh, I've, from everything I've heard, there's there are some areas where wrestling never stopped. Yeah, I have heard that too. 
Uh, October 5th, 2020, uh, the largest pro wrestling crowd in North America since the pandemic. Roughly 1,500 fans, well, because it was the only crowd really in the pandemic, uh, showed up for the 50th anniversary of Jerry Lawler's Memphis Wrestling debut show. The show took place outdoors at the ballpark in Jackson, the home of the Jackson Generals minor league baseball team in the city, was a regular stop for Nick Goulis and Roy Welch, and later the Jarrett Promotions. The show was put on by Lawler's longtime friend, Burt Prentice, a former newsletter writer turned manager, has, who has promoted USA Championship Wrestling shows featuring Lawler for actually as many years as Lawler worked for Goulis, Jared, and himself. Now, almost 71, Lawler is one of the oldest active wrestlers in the world for a guy who maintained in his youth that he would retire by the time he was 35. By the way, still wrestling. <laughs> it was a huge group of people uh, at the merchandise table, including Mayor Glenn Jacobs in Knoxville. Uh, Back is Kane, uh, Sergeant Slawler, Lex Luger, Dory Funk Jr., Jim Ross, Arn Anderson, Teddy Long, Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, Scott Steiner, Lynn Denton. Uh, I think it was supposed to say Lynn Denton, I imagine. Uh, I assume, yeah. Yeah, Bambi, Candy Divine, Barry Windham, Tony Tony Falk, The Boogeyman, Tony Atlas, Tommy Rich, Doug Gilbert, Bill Dundee, Bobby Eden, Coco Beware, and Reggie B. Fine. Uh, there was an issue with Atlas and Boogeyman at local hotel rooms that they thought they were supposed to have that they weren't or something. Uh, there's also a table of mementos of photos of Brian Christopher, Lawler's son, who was one of the area's biggest stars in the 90s. Kevin Lawler was involved in some of the angles to set up the main event, and there was a 10-bell salute to Road Warrior Animal, who was scheduled to be appearing on the show. The show lasted very long so long that a lot of people before the uh left before the main event and thought it was the match was pretty much all the stars WWE had a crew shooting the show for an upcoming lawler piece which i don't know if that ever came out because that probably was a network project and then peacock happened and they scrapped it i think that's a good i think it's a safe bet to assume that um yeah because i don't remember anything out there Man, we're 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 doing a topic of rediscovering Indies where we talked about Peacock. <laughs> Actually, no, I think they did do. I think there was some kind of Lawler special. Was there? I the feel on Peacock. I'll I'll, I'll have to see. But it doesn't mean like that is actually like that footage was on there. Um, here is the card that that Dave has listed. Um, Matt Boyce beat area veteran Derek King, who was managed by Jason Prentice. Jason Prentice, by the way, who listens to the show, Bert's nephew. Thank you, Jason. Uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard, who is now 61, teamed with 66-year-old Tony Atlas and L.T. Falk, the son of Tony Falk, to defeat the Brothers of Seduction, Cam Cam the Prince and Josh Tucker, and third man Dylan McQueen. McQueen was very entertaining to the live crowd after the match, Atlas with his Mr. USA gimmick, who he had won a smaller version of Mr. USA bodybuilding contest in the early 80s, led the crowd in doing a Pledge of Allegiance. James Ellsworth, the former WWE comedy figure, uh, managed by Brother Ernest, beat Danny Dollar. Jason Gene Genesis and Honcho Hemsley, the Essentials, teamed with Colin Wiltz over the threesome of straight-up violence. The Boogeyman, 56-year-old Marty White, beat Christian James in an entertaining match. Uh, Luke Kane beat Matt Starr to win the Southern Heavyweight title, the same belt uh, name as the main belt Lawler held consistently during his heyday. In a title versus title match, NWA Women's Champion Thunder Rosa went to a double count out with USA Wrestling Women's Champion Miranda Gordy, the daughter of Terry Gordy. They did a great pull apart brawl finish. I would like, I remember the build up for that match. I'd like to see that match. Uh, Flawless Lawless won the USA Heavyweight title from Nathan Starr. This was said to be a hell of a match. And then we have the big main event here Jerry Lawler, Ricky Morton, and Robert Gibson 
be Tommy Rich and Doug Gilbert and Matt Rivera in a Thunderdome cage match. Dave Brown uh, came out to do the ring instructions and got a standing ovation. Rivera and, and manager Ron the Rat Catcher came out first during uh, onto the field in a Cadillac, followed by Rich and Gilbert in a limo. Morton Gibson came out in a golf cart, and Lawler came out riding a horse to a thunderous ovation. <laughs> okay. Back about 40 years ago, Lawler made his famous ring entrance in the Mid-South on the back of a white horse. Uh, Jimmy Hart came out with Lawler. The sprinklers went out before the main event, so the ring was soaked. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know those are like digitally timed now, right? You can change it. Um, you probably couldn't find the ground crew <laughs> and knew how to change it. Rivera cut a promo and talked about the... All the injuries over the years, Lawler had given him. Then he offered Hart $10,000 a new custom-made jacket, and Hart took the money and turned on Lawler. The match had two referees, Jerry Calhoun, who was Lawler's brother-in-law in the 80s and a member of the Lawler's Army softball team in the 80s, as well as the lead referee in the territory. Uh, I would assume Pamela, probably Pamela Lawler's brother. Uh, and downtown Bruno, uh, Harvey Wibbleman. Uh, Bruno turned heel rough in the middle of the match, and they did an old-school uh, match. Lawler sold uh, early and the heels kept distracting Kellen and Bruno. Lawler pulled down the strap and everybody sold big. Morning Gibson joined in. Ron the Rat Catcher tried to interfere. <laughs> that just gets me. Hart uh, jumped in and he like he was going to help out, but he punched Ron. Riviera didn't see it and Hart threw his megaphone to Riviera, but threw it over his head and Lawler caught it and knocked Riviera and pinned him at the 13 minute mark. Lawler then threw a fireball Riviera because you got to, to end the show and send everybody home happy. Um, all right. So a few things to know from this show. A uh, lot going on in that main event. Um, but, you know, Har- Harvey Wilhelm didn't do a lot of, of indie stuff in the 2000s because he had, like, a WWE job. So this this is I, this might be his, like, first and and last appearance in quite a time, some time in an independent wrestling show for sure. Um, yeah. I know he, he did make one-off appearances here and there around like the Memphis area, but yeah, for the most part, like it was this late in the game, 2020, uh, you know, um, you got Thunder Rosa versus, uh, Miranda Gordy, which, you know, that sounds like a great thing. Boogeyman, wrestling in 2020. I, I mean, I know people bring him in for autograph signings. I did not know he was actually still working matches. Uh, but so, like I said, I, I watched some of the TV leading up to this and Dylan McQueen, a lot of charisma, a lot of talent. Uh, might, he might, what might hurt him is being in the South with yeah, there is some really good Southern Independent Wrestling Federations right now. I um, mean, you got Action Wrestling, and of course they do the uh, the CSI, and you got the uh, uh, the TIW in Chattanooga, I think it's called, and and all that. But Dylan McQueen is somebody who I think should he be a bigger star in independent wrestling. You familiar with Dylan McQueen at all? Yeah, uh, yeah, I've, he was on some shows in uh, Dallas Mania Weekend uh, that I was involved with. Yeah, no, I, 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 I've I've seen him, saw him on here, and I think he wrestled in New South as well, and a few other uh, notable places down south. But yeah, uh, if you're in a better wrestling promoter, uh, Dylan McQueen, book Dylan McQueen. Um, 
Uh, I, th- I think too. I think he had like an injury, and that probably like sidelined him. Unfortunately, I can't. I could be wrong with that, but but yeah. If if Dylan McQueen's c- currently back wrestling, a book Dylan McQueen. Uh, moving on to March first, two thousand twenty-one, and. Local pro wrestling returns to the Memphis uh, television on February 27th for a weekly noon Saturday show on CW30. Uh, it was Championship Wrestling for Memphis. It's almost been 15 years since the last attempt to do pro wrestling in a city that historically drawn the biggest ratings for pro wrestling consistently for the last 50 years. Dustin Starr and David Marquez are behind the new show. Uh, the first uh, set of, and we've talked about David Marquez in ex- uh, in a lot uh extent uh for the nwa episodes as well as uh the xpw episodes um but yeah uh, the first set of tapings was done on february 14th where they taped three shows using local talent that mostly had never been on television as well as Derek king and alan Steele, who were featured on randy hales power pro wrestling about 20 years ago and King actually started in the 90s with Jerry Jarrett's promotion. Uh, they limited seating for the show, first show, which sold out, and also sold out the second set of tapings on March 7th. Uh, they will also tape on April 11th. Starhead approached both Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee about being part of the show, but said he didn't want them wrestling. He got some heat from older wrestlers saying... Uh, he didn't want Lawler, who was 71, and Dundee, who was 77, in the ring any longer. Lawler still wrestles locally for Burt Brothers' USA Championship Wrestling in Jackson, Tennessee, which does a local access television show in the city that they want to run in Memphis. Some of the local people involved in wrestling don't like the idea that they're using the name Memphis Wrestling or pushing the slogan Memphis Wrestling is back. So, I am familiar with this a little bit. And so... From what I gather here is that what Marquez and Starr are trying to do is something completely different. Like, they don't want to do the same thing that that, 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 that Memphis wrestling has been for 30, 40 years. You know, and I, I can understand them not wanting to use Dundee and Lawler. Hey, this is a fresh start. This is different. I understand using the slogan Memphis wrestling is back, but, I mean, at, at some point you have to create new stars and you have to kind of evolve, right? Yeah, I, I, I see where you're going with that, where, like, what Memphis Wrestling always was, you had a TV show, more or less Saturday and, mornings. And this you, is a professional studio show. I don't know yeah. when it airs, but... Oh, noon Saturday, yeah, so it airs on Saturday. You you had, you had traditionally, you had, like, TV wrestling that always do well, but that was never the core business, that TV drew... TV was a driver to get people to come to come to the arenas, where Memphis Wrestling was always, you'd make your money at the arenas. What Dave Marquez does with Championship Wrestling from Memphis, Championship Wrestling from Atlanta, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, and all the offshoots, is he's trying to create a TV product and base the revenue off of that, off of sponsors, off of the Car Shield deal he has, and various other deals. So it's an entirely different business model than what what Bert has done and what Lawler's done, what Jared has done, what anyone in Memphis has done. So it's really apples and oranges when you look at it that way. Yeah, I mean and and you still like I said, I, the way Bert was doing it, Bert Bert still until the day he passed away ran a Memphis style stu- show. He did. And when I was watching twenty twenty, it was it, it was it was very similar. Um, uh, 
unfortunately on August, uh, August 4th, 2021, we did lose, uh, Burt Prentice and he, he was, he was 63 years old. Uh, and we can kind of go through here, um, the, the observer obituary, but, uh, Burt Prentice, a longtime manager and promoter in Tennessee passed away this past week, age 63. He had been battling cancer. So unfortunately cancer came back, uh, for Burt the day before his death, he revealed he had cancer and would be stepping away from wrestling, saying his sister, Marilyn would be taking over running USA championship wrestling, his current company. And while he would concentrate on his health, he was better known with the spelling Burt Prentice, uh, as his name was spelled differently, I guess his legal name. Uh, he came from the wrestling newsletter, uh, world in 1982. He also claimed a background in roller derby at one point, but nobody in roller derby or roller games seemed to know about it. <laughs> that was the story. He was a worker in the deepest sense of the word and Tennessee independent wrestling was one of the few places someone like that could survive in the business for as long as he did. He managed to somehow parlay his newsletter into an appearance on Southwest championship wrestling in 1983. <laughs> when the show was on the USA network, where he put over the promotion on both television and in his newsletter. Uh, newsletter, I'm sorry. The, the one week he became a heel manager doing an act as Christopher Love uh, managing Tully Blanchard, uh, who was the promotion's top star at the time. As the promotion was having financial issues, Blanchard left for Jim Crockett Promotions. Prentice started wor working different wrestling companies on the indie level. He started working for Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett in 1991 as Christopher Love, managing the PYTs, which were Coco Ware and Orville Austin. He later went uh, as Burt Prentice, which I feel like that he's there before 91. I think Dave got that wrong because Coco Beware is... Not Coco Ware in 1991. Uh, yeah, Coco, Coco was in WWE in 1991. He's there in the late 80s. We've talked about it. Yeah. Um, he later went on as Burt Prentice and managing much of the heel crew in 92 and 93, which included being a foil to Eddie Marlin uh, working against downtown Bruno. And in 1993, managing Bret Hart, Owen Hart, and Giant Gonzalez during a period where Vince McMahon and Jerry J Jarrett worked together, and McMahon would send top stars to work Monday night matches, usually against Jerry Lawler. We did talk about that briefly, and yeah, folks, Burr Prentice managed Owen Hart and Bret Hart. And Giant Gonzalez. Um, you can't win them all. Yeah, he feuded with Miss Texas, later Jacqueline and WF, uh brought in Juanita Wright, a Sapphire, who's second in... And, he, that was the thing too. Sapphire being involved in... And we talked about that in, like, in 94. Um... Uh, when WF was trying to embarrass Rose for a book, they just give her background to claim that she knew Miss Texas was actually a man named Bubba Johnson. Uh, the story was that Sapphire was to claim that she married Bubba Johnson, but Sapphire also turned apprentice. In 1994, he turned face for six months and feuded with heel managers Ronnie Lotz and Big Business Brown. He regu his regular run ended that year when he came back in 96 as the manager of the Colorado Kid. Prentice mostly promoted independent shows in the area uh, under various names, sometimes running full-time promotions for short periods of time, which gave a lot of area wrestlers a lot of ring time. He ran Music City Wrestling in Nashville, Ozark Mountain Wrestling, and North American All-Star Wrestling. He ran the National Fairgrounds regularly after USWA closed up. He was described as being like Jim Jones, with a Kool-Aid cult of followers and fans who would do anything for him. His Nashville shows were famous for lack of protective guardrails, grab bag gimmicks, and angles with planted fans. <laughs> His regular plants would be there to work the talent, including one plant at ringside who was yelling and screaming at David Flair in the early 2000s, who screamed that she hated him and his father sucks, and I always hated watching his 
titties flapping around. Okay, interesting insult. Uh, David then started cracking up. Uh, the Nashville uh, show stopped drawing when TNA started running weekly pay-per-views uh, there and giving away a ton of free tickets. Basically, how many people were going to buy tickets for local wrestlers when they can go see the same building every week for free and see bigger stars? Prentice was working for TNA its early days as well and would promote locally and get a cut, but he complained to anyone who knew him uh, that the promotion was killing his own local shows. He would tell people it was his territory and everyone else booking the fairgrounds was an outlaw promotion. Um, when uh, another promoter got local television, he, he at his USA Championship Wrestling promotion sometimes had television with him usually as the announcer and interviewer and did the best uh, when he used Lawler as a main event star. His announcing style consisted of how many times he could repeat the same verbiage of a show about the next house show. Once his television a manager decided to run a show in Carthage, Tennessee, a town of less than 2,000 people, Prentice decided to pretend he didn't exist in a taped match footage where he did the voiceovers. He was heavy uh, because he was known as being a champion eater, always going to Chinese buffets and where he'd stack food as high as he could on the plate and usually go back three more times stacking food as high as he could. Often at the restaurants, even uh, in Tennessee, where people working in restaurants were nice, they would be nice to Prentice, both because people working there knew him and knew his, him, his eating egg rolls was a massive amount of Kung Pao chicken, would leave him losing money on the deal, as he know, it was known for not leaving a tip. Oh, come on, Bert. So waitresses often ignored his table when a kid refilling drinks. He could yell at you and throw a fit, and seconds later was fine. He ranged in minutes from the grumpiest guy around to the nicest. Once after a show, the Nashville police showed up, and they said they were looking for Burt Prentice to Prentice. Prentice said he went the way and through those doors. Prentice then disappeared. In the early days of TNA Wrestling, he and Jeremy Boresh were the announcing team for Explosion. In its early days in Nashville... People remember he was around in the early days of TNA that Jerry Jarrett seemed to love this guy. His last major show was the Lawler 50th anniversary show on September 26, 2020, during the pandemic at the baseball stadium in Jackson, Tennessee, promoted with local minor league baseball team, which drew 1,500 fans. At that time, the largest U.S. wrestling crowd in months. Earlier this year, Prentice was inducted in the Memphis Wrestling Hall of Fame. One of his friends owned it. Burt was a pure carny. But there is a paying group of people in Tennessee that admire and respect Pierre Carney. There is something hopelessly romantic about a man that will do anything to survive in the wrestling business. Everyone that ever knew Burt has a Burt Prentice story, and those stories are legendary. And I love that ending to that obituary. And when we wrap this up in a few moments, I'm going to touch on that. Because I think that's a very good summary of Burt. Um, and then... Lastly here, uh, uh, August 16, 2021, Burt's USA Championship Wrestling, which he left to his sister, is promoting September 11th in show in Robbinsville, booked as Jerry Lawler's Wrestling Reunion, headlined by Lawler versus Scott Steiner, featuring Bill Dundee, Doug Gilbert, Tommy Rich, Coco Ware, Jimmy Hart, Kurt Angle, Sergeant Slaughter, Dave Brown, Ricky Steamboat, Jerry Calhoun, uh, Arn Anderson, Lex Luger, Thunder Rosa, and Miranda Gordy. Uh, and we have the results for that. Results for that here. Um, we just have Jerry Lawler defeating Scott Steiner. So that's the only result we have for that. And and uh, just want to talk about his memorial show, too. October 9, 2021. This was uh, in Jackson, Tennessee at the Oman Arena. Um, it was the Wanderer. So there was a memorial battle royal with the Wanderer one. And it was Angus Kaiser, Bam Bam Bundy, 
Cobra Singh, Honcho Hensley, Hunter Wolf, Kid Wrestling, Luke Luna, The Hillbilly, The Shank, and Wayne Moxley. Uh, Honcho Hensley defeats Wayne Moxley. Uh, Matt Boyce and the Colorado Kid defeat Valhalla Rising, Devlin Kane and Ragnar the Ruthless, Bam Bam Bundy and Kevin Zeon defeat Cobra Singh and the Wanderer. Danny Dollar, defe- Danny Dollar defeats Matty Starr. And then the main event, Jake Lawless defeated Brian Idol to retain the USA Championship Wrestling heavyweight title match. And as far as USA Championship Wrestling, that would pretty much be it. Um, I think now they, they've changed it to like Burt Prentice Wrestling Memories or something like that, the page and all that. But uh, they a, uh, pretty much an active territory for in, in Nashville for 20 years is uh, uh, unfortunately Burt Passing is gone. Uh, so Bert was one of a kind. Um, he, nothing could stop him if he got fired or a town died or the wrestling business changed dramatically. Uh, he stayed. I mean, here's a guy who started running independent promotions in the, we, as far as we have the late early nineties, it could have been the late eighties. Um, but he's running independent promotions, say the early nineties and running them until 2021 with v- hardly any time that he really stopped. Even when he was running TNA, he would do it once in a while, not as often, but still once in a while. As that line said, you got to admire somebody who would do anything to just survive in the wrestling business. And, and that's the thing. I mean, Bert never stopped. Bert gave all to the business and I mean, he, he worked everywhere in Dallas. He worked everywhere in Memphis, everywhere in Nashville. Uh, it's such an interesting story. And I'm glad we got to cover this Ash because people, I think the general fan might've heard of him, but I don't think people understand how interesting this story is. Yeah. And to add on to what you said, like said in the obituary, his quote, uh, towards another indie promoter was I'm a wrestling promoter. I don't dress up and play one on the weekends. Yeah. I mean that this was Bert's business. I don't know if he had a day job. He probably didn't. This was probably his job. This was it pro wrestling. So with that, um, any final thoughts on this episode? Ask for as we wrap this up here. No, not really. I think we, uh, think we did, did it pretty well. Yep. Uh, I mean, and, and if we missed anything, you know, we've gotten great feedback from, you know, multiple people that knew Bert over the years, and we really appreciate all that. And if you have any feedback, uh, you know, obviously give that to us. Um, this has been fun. We're going to do a new episode, uh, which I think should only be one episode, um, as long as we, I think we don't go on the Evolve rabbit hole too far. You think one episode. <laughs> yeah, we think. But we're going to cover Dragon Gate USA. Gabe Sapolsky's Dragon Gate USA on our next episode. Uh, something I've kind of been looking forward to. Some interesting cards. Some big names in the business that were on those Dragon Gate USA cards. As well as, you know, you know in Japan and the United States. So, really excited to go over that there. Uh, so, Remember, if you want to check us out on social media, we're RTI Pod on Instagram and Twitter, uh, Rediscovering Indies on Facebook. Of course, you can find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and really almost anywhere where you get podcasts. I, we're not on everyone, but we're on a lot of a lot of good ones. Um, and then for myself, 
Uh, you can find me, Chris Gello, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Of course, if you, you, you haven't had enough listening to me, you can hear me every Sunday on WrestleNomics Radio where we talk about the business, the profession of wrestling, the stats, the numbers, uh, and all that. Um, and then uh, as far as me wrestling-wise, uh, this month uh, at this point it's kind of a, a, you know, a light month, but uh, I'll, be, uh, I'll be in Vince Valor's corner uh, in a uh, tag match. At Buffalo Championship Wrestling on uh, June twenty fourth, uh, and then after that, uh, you know, I have a huge August schedule, which we'll talk about for on the Dragon Gate USA show. But Ash, you're a super busy guy. Tell them, tell them, uh, tell them what uh, where they can find you. Ah, uh, you find me all over. Um, in a few days, I'm flying out to L.A. for GCW. So L.A., then San Francisco, single weekend. Uh, got Nashville at the end of July for. GCW and maybe a few other things. August is already packed. You have Charlotte, Atlanta, uh, September, UK for GCW, and then it just keeps on rolling, rolling along with that. All right, yeah. So uh, we want to thank you all for being patient with us. I know it was a late episode, but uh, we got it out to you, and we'll have a new episode for you in a few weeks here. And, uh, you know, just thank every single person that listens to us and supports us. We really appreciate it. Nobody gets mad when we have these delays and, and, and that's just, a, we, we, we see that everybody. We were, we, uh, I was at an AEW show recently and a couple people knew me for rediscovering Indies. So I thought that was really cool. So yeah, we really appreciate that. Thank you guys for listening. And, uh, we'll see you next month, uh, for the dragon get USA episode. Remember, keep learning about your independent wrestling history and supporting independent wrestling.